You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, Episode 15. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. On today's episode, we are going to talk about the negative effects that stress has on the body. Uh, I think this is something that you and I probably, of all the things that we discuss and talk about, this is one of the kind of root causes of, of a lot of the issues that people have, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And I think kind of the impetus of this was as, yeah, you know, this is kind of our second official episode since taking our few month hiatus is we've moved from Las Vegas to Washington state and doing so that created some stress for ourselves. So that was kind of what sort of preempted this episode is let's talk about stress. We all have it. We all have it in varying degrees and some people have more stress than others, but in the long run, the way it affects the body biologically, we kind of wanted to talk about some of those effects and what it can do to our systems. Yeah, I think doctors for a long time have been talking about the negative effects of stress. I think for a long time, however, no one really knew how to connect the dots. Like really what does stress do to the body? What effects does it really have? It's easy just to say, well, that's because of stress or you're having that problem because of stress, but how do you reverse engineer that and understand what that actually does and what's happening inside the body. So then as a practitioner or as a person, you can figure out a way to fix some of those issues. And I think knowing what the stress does to the body or just knowing how that affects your system can be kind of enlightening for people because we all have stress, but knowing how it affects the system, I think, because a lot of my patients that I have, I mean, they have a lot of stress, but granted, they're not like running from bombs and bullets and people trying to attack them, but they still, you know, daily life has a lot of stress. And when I bring it back to them on how their body's responding to it, they actually are like, oh, really? Then I'm not just crazy. Everybody thinks they're crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah. World that we live in is normal for us human beings in the 21st century in America. We've all had a relatively similar quality of life ever since we were children. But that life that we live, the lifestyles that we all have, the society that we live in is in some ways just kind of like this a hormonal nightmare on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, right? And that's why I think you're seeing a lot of these chronic health issues, autoimmune disease and diabetes and Alzheimer's and heart attacks and strokes. All these things are kind of a manifestation of how our bodies are not adapting very well to this world that we live. Because honestly, if you think about it, our society and our style of life, we all have, for the most part, kind of have a nine to five, Monday through Friday, kind of a schedule that's really only been at least in this country, only around for 150 years, maybe 200 years at the most. It really hasn't been around very long since the beginning of humankind, which is, you know, a very, very long time. The world that we have now is relatively just a fraction of that time frame. And, you know, we're, you know, in some ways, we're kind of like the canaries in the mine in general, trying to adapt as a species for the most part because of this stress, as we say, and you just said, you know, there's places around the world where 
there's like a legitimate dangers, right? In this country, we really don't have a lot of those dangers. But our body still responds the same way, and it seems to compound on itself almost like exponentially. So I'll have patients, and I see mainly females, and we are kind of a symphony of hormones, is they'll have chronic stress in their life, and then it almost like it builds on top of each other. So they'll tell me like one little thing just completely set me off, and I don't know, and you know, the family's hiding, you know, they run and hide. She went from zero to 60 in such a short amount of time. And I tell them, no, it's not that moment of when someone asks you, hey, you forgot to pick up the dry cleaning and then they blow up. It's not that moment. It's a collection of the stressful situations or just the stress compounded on each other over months, weeks, years, because our bodies are not adapted. Like Dr. Rob was talking about is we're adapted to run away from the bear, run away from a life-threatening situation, not have these little tiny nuances of stress, like trying to get somewhere quickly because I'm running behind, having a conflict with a friend or a family member, having to deal with family drama, which we all and myself included, know all about that. Yeah, right. I think the point to understand is that in America, I think a lot of the stress that we have these days, as we were just alluding to, is more psychological stress. It's almost make-believe stress. We turn things that are not really that stressful in general, but you compound this stress and that stress and this, you know, you have a half a dozen stressors by themselves are relatively small, but when you pack them on and some of them are never ending, someone working on a regular basis, that's a full-time stress. Someone that has a family and trying to take care of children, that's a full-time stress. You add on the other things on top of that, that are just part of everyday life. And now, like you said, you get to that breaking point and then there's that one little thing and then the, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back and now they can't cope anymore. Yeah, that's what I see a lot is they'll say, oh, I go from zero to 60 or I rage or I'm really mean. One woman tell me, she goes, I wish I would just with my hormones or how I'm feeling is I wish I just could be sad. Instead, I'm just really mean because that's what comes out. You're in this complete sympathetic nervous system, which is part of those adrenals rather than the parasympathetic, which is rest and relaxation and cellular turnover. Instead, they're constantly in this state of fight or flight. But like Dr. Mackey was saying, it's more of a mental stress and mental stress is big. Even watching the news or having a bad dream or even people that worry and they're looking at, you know, when's the other shoe going to drop? That's a constant mental stress. Of course, there's also physical stress, which I think people don't realize that even in our world, we do have quite a bit of physical stress as well. Well, not only do we have all the mental stress, which is bad enough, but then what people try to do that we see a lot of all the time is they add on even more of the physical stress. How many patients have you talked to over the years that are completely stressed out psychologically, jobs, family, just running around like crazy, and then they try to go exercise five or six days a week? Oh, they always are. They have a trainer. They go to a boot camp class. They go to these intense cardio classes. They're waking up at 430 so they can pack their gym bag so they can get to the gym before work or they get the gym after work or they get to the gym after they drop the kids off at school. It's yeah, it's like I even ask people like, but there's only 24 hours in a day. How do you do all of that? Yeah. And I don't think that any of them should try to do that, especially the gym aspect. And I know that's something that I think is a contributing reason as to why their bodies don't cooperate anymore. They're already asking too much of their bodies already anyways. And then their trainer tells them that they're supposed to go to these high intensity impact, the HIIT training classes, the H-I-I-T classes. And I don't really think that that's doing them any good once they get past a certain age. 
right? They're in their 20s, okay, fine. Maybe 30, 35, maybe once you get beyond that, especially after children for women, and I think even for men, once you get past that certain age range, I think it becomes really difficult. And the strategy that they need, and we're gonna talk about weight, weight around the middle in a second, I think the strategy they need to be able to kind of circumvent that is not exercise more and eat less like everybody tends to do, either by default or on purpose. You know, yeah. I think we see that a lot. Yeah, the cardio will raise up that cortisol. Coffee, a lot of people drink coffee. That's like the American way. Coffee raises up your cortisol. Because really what we're talking about here, like I had mentioned about that fight or flight with the sympathetic nervous system is, yeah, you've got adrenaline. Adrenaline's going to go all over the place, but it's cortisol that's what's rising up, which is coming up when you have that mental stress. The cortisol goes up when you have the coffee. The cortisol goes up when you do an intense class or, or even running, even doing like long endurance running that raises up the cortisol. Now I'm not advocating for people to not exercise. They would, I'm mean, sure plenty of people would love to, Oh, look, she told me not to exercise, but we're just saying maybe we can do it in a different manner or we can restructure some of the patterns in our life because the stress isn't going to go away. And some people have good stress. I mean, I have this, a couple, they told me their daughter just got married in July and their next daughter is getting married in November and they're building a great house up in the woods. And, and I'm like, those are wonderful stressors, but are you just like going crazy? And they're yeah, uh-huh, we are. Yeah, right. Yeah, those are, you know, of course, uh, nice family moments and whatever, but it's still a lot, a lot of planning and a lot of things probably, I'm sure. And a lot of money. Yeah, financial <laughs> stress as well. Not to mention building a house. I'm sure that there's probably a million things that need to be done in order to build a house, a custom home. Like I said, those are all good problems. But I think in America, we do a good job of manufacturing stress for ourselves when we really don't have to. And stress in general, when you talk about the brain and the adrenals, right? Everyone thinks about the adrenals that you hear the word cortisol all the time, but no one really thinks about the impact that the stress has on the brain. It's really a top-down issue as opposed to a bottom-up issue. But the adrenals get talked about in stress, but really, you know, there's areas of the brain, the hippocampus and some other areas that really take the brunt of that. And that's where some of the, one of the other effects that we see a lot is the mental side of that over time. The proverbial brain fog that people talk about. Their brains don't work like they used to. They can't recall things. They can't remember things. They forget their keys. They forget people's names. Their words recall isn't very good you know and now they still need to be productive you know right they still need to function out there in everyday life and now they're their brains are kind of letting them down. It doesn't work like as efficiently as it used to. That is funny you say that because I just talked to a patient this week and she said the same thing because she is stressed. She got a new promotion in her job. She's very successful. She's the estate kind of taking care of her family members. She's kind of in control of all of that. And then she said she walked into a meeting with a guy that she's worked with for years and she could not remember his name. And then she asked me, am I having dementia? I'm like, no, you're like, 49 years old, you're not having dementia. You just, you know, it's stress. And then like you're saying, stress does affect us from the brain. But I think most people, granted the brain fog is hugely a big symptom that people talk about in that short-term memory loss. But I think probably the biggest symptom isn't from the top down, it's the middle. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. As I was alluding to with the exercise, because you're right, the probably the biggest complaint we hear all the time is that stubborn, whether you call it the spare tire for men or the muffin top for women or belly fat. Yeah, the belly I've never fat. Had a, I've never had a belly ever. And then all of a sudden I have one. I hear that 
all the time. Yeah, and I think we, it would be easy to say that that is a definitely stress-induced type of a distribution. And there's some very physiologic reasons as to why that happens when your cortisol goes up, it makes your blood sugar go up, it makes your insulin respond to that, and then your body doesn't need all of that blood sugar at the time because you're not running from a grizzly bear and then it redistributes it in in a place where you don't really want it it distributes it in that middle section where when you were in your 20s or even in your 30s you never had that problem before and now you can't get it to go away because that's literally it's the stubborn belly fat and unfortunately people try to do what we've always kind of been trained in our brain and it always sits there is well i'm just going to eat less and then they end up binging later because when you have those stress hormones going around your body wants to feed at the same time it wants to run so like dr Mackey had mentioned about that body distribution it's totally true i'll talk to patients and what happens is the body mobilizes muscle tissue from your glutes you know your bum and your quads and your thighs and it redistributes it to your stomach so it's almost almost like you're trading muscle tissue for belly fat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally, you're not really converting muscle into fat, but your body does do that. It breaks down muscle into protein or protein into amino acids. The amino acids get turned into sugar. The sugar then gets turned into body fat. So it's like this cascade of events that are kind of exacerbated by the more stress you have. That's why doing cardiovascular, intense cardiovascular exercise on top of a busy schedule is kind of a double whammy because you're breaking down muscle tissue by raising your cortisol even higher. And the more muscle you have, the more fat you're going to burn. And if you're breaking it down, you know, that's not great. Plus, not only that, but you're getting that rise to insulin when you're when you don't really need it to go up. So I know that's really complicated. We talked about that in a few episodes before our hiatus and it's really complex stuff. And we're probably going to talk more about that as time goes on. And some of the things that we're talking about today, just in general, we're kind of giving an overview. We're going to probably dive a little bit deeper on some of these issues because, you know, if we just ran through a list, I mean, what are the things that if we just made a bullet point list of the things that stress does, what would be your top three to five things? Well, of course, the belly fat, that's the big one, the brain fog, the sugar craving, the trouble falling asleep and really the big one is the trouble staying asleep people also have some kind of more physical like like hair loss is kind of a common thing females will have issues with their menstrual cycle they can have heavier periods irregular periods and that comes from the progesterone dropping because when your cortisol goes up your progesterone drops so then you see these female reproductive issues going on when your progesterone drops that also can cause for women infertility it, you know because the body is smart if it thinks it's running from a bear 24 seven, cause we're not supposed to run from bears. You know, you run from a bear in 15 seconds, it either eats you or you get away. But if your body thinks it's being chased by a pack of wolves, it's smart. It says now is not time to be fertile. So it kind of turn, it'll try to turn off the ovulation because it knows now's not a time to be fertile, let alone gestate for nine months and then raise young. So those are probably some of the biggest ones that I see, but yeah, sleep I mean, is probably, and then of course, libido comes in. Oh, there's so many. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why this is kind of like a foundational thing because everything kind of comes back to this core issue and the lifestyles that we have on a regular basis also you know like I said American lifestyle in some ways is just stress on a regular basis we lead the world in having the highest stress levels part of it is because we're you know we're all trying to make a living and trying to survive and do all those things but you know that comes at a price so by us talking about that and understanding how those lifestyle things 
how that affects us physiologically. Like, oh, you know, now we can start to intervene in certain areas. And like you said, too, the sleep. I mean, once a woman gets to that certain point in her life and all of a sudden they can't sleep at all, not to mention they have the stress still during the day, now it really is going to start to spiral out of control really fast because they're not getting that rest and recuperation that they need, but they're still going 90 miles an hour seven days a week. That's a recipe for disaster. There's going to be problems at some point going on in there if they're not getting the rest that their body requires on a consistent basis. And it is a little insidious. People, you know, this goes on, this can go on for a decade. And a lot of people are, you know, they want to take care of their health. They're worried. I have some people tell me they think they're dying when really it's to the adrenals and the stress and they'll go to their doctor and you, you got to love them. The doctor, if you have a disease, they're going to try to fix you, but this isn't a disease. So then the doc looks at them and, you, you know, like I said, bless them. They're give you some antidepressants and maybe some anti-anxiolytics, uh, maybe some sleeping pills. And then you're down the rabbit's hole on these pharmaceutical medications that, yeah, in the short term are going to do get you sleeping. But in the long term, trying to come off of those medications or the habitualness or the kind of almost like the dependency that comes to them, then like I said, you're down the rabbit's hole on that. So the, really what we want to do is talk a little bit about, you know, stress isn't going to go away, good stress, bad stress. But what are some aspects we could do to circumvent some of the physiological responses that the body has to stress. Yeah, right. Everyone has their own life. Everyone has their own, you know, everyone's an individual, right? But we see, you know, majority women and they all go through these kind of same patterns. They're all developing a kind of a myriad of similar characteristics and symptoms. And without really trying to, just by default, we've had to learn how to be able to help people with these things because it just keeps coming up over and over and over. And as you said, pharmaceutically, when you go to your doctor, the ones that should be able to help you you go to your primary care doctor, you go to even go to a specialist, you go to a gynecologist, you go to an endocrinologist, and they just look at you not really sure what to do because you have all these symptoms, but really there's not an approach or a treatment regimen that can specifically deal with any of it, right? There's little things kind of around the periphery, like you said, the sleeping pills or an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety thing, all those come at a price. They don't really get at the core of the issue. They might like you said, temporarily work on some things, but over time, I think they cause more harm than good. And then where's the patient left? You know, the woman is still left with the same, not feeling very good. She's not happy. She's not productive. She's not doing the things that she needs to get done. And now, now she feels a little bit hopeless. I mean, you and I all the time talk to people and they, they, you can almost hear them sigh either in person or on the phone. You can almost hear them sigh like a sense of relief because there's a, someone that understands their plight. Yeah, and then maybe have some strategies for that particular individual to help them with that. I think probably the two best things that you could do for yourself, you know, with somebody that has stress that's not going to go away is we've got to get you sleeping and we got to change up that dietary. Because like Dr. Mackey was saying, cortisol messes with your glucose. So if you're already eating foods that are high in glucose or they have a high glycemic index, then that's going to even further exacerbate this sort of cortisol insulin issue. Yeah, right. That's why we always encourage people to make sure if your sleep is really dysfunctional and your stress level is consistently is going to stay high, 
then the other things that you're doing, the exercise and whatever needs to be kind of put to the wayside. But sleep, you're right. Sleep is, if you're not sleeping well, then nothing's really going to ever change, right? Because now you're kind of burning the candle at both ends. Your cortisol is going to be high at all the wrong times. Your body is not going to cooperate. It's going to continue to kind of get worse. And if that stays that way for too long, that's when potential actual real disease could show up. So it does have its... Uh, all those symptoms are just in some ways kind of like a foreshadowing or a warning sign of something bigger to come down the road, whatever that might be. Yeah. So if you have trouble falling asleep, you know, like, oh, I feel so awake and it's 1130 at night and I feel like I'm actually a human being right now. Or you have trouble, which and this is my MO because this happens to me all the time. You have trouble staying asleep because that is something that's very common in women in their mid 40s is you fall asleep as soon as your head fits the pillow. But an hour and a half later, you're up. You might be up all night or you might be up for an hour or two hours and then you fall back asleep. And of course, by the time you fall back asleep, it's time to wake up and then you don't feel rested in the morning. What that is, is the cortisol's coming up at night or it's bouncing up and down at night and then you don't get a good sleep. And then in the morning, the cortisol's all messed up. So then your whole day is kind of shot. So what we tend to implement is trying to bring down the cortisol and we do supplements with this. Um, you know, we don't do any kind of farm necessarily any kind of pharmaceutical medications, but you know, supplementation to try to bring down that cortisol at night. One quick, easy tip that you could do is have a bedtime snack, have like a hundred calorie bedtime snack, a little nut butter, a little something before you, a little tiny protein shake before you go to bed. Cause at least that will stabilize your blood sugar for the, while you're sleeping at night to try to keep that cortisol down. Cause sometimes people don't eat dinner at six or seven. And then by the, because of the way their cortisol is, their blood sugar has bottomed out in the middle of the night, which is why they're waking up because cortisol will bring up your blood sugar. So having a little bedtime snack of protein and fat is a good idea. Like we talked about during the day is trying to implement lower, as we all know, less junk food, right? Less refined processed foods, less refined carbohydrates. That would probably be a, a good place to start. Yeah. I mean, that's the as everyone probably listening understands, that's kind of like the battle, right? You have all the stress going on and what does your brain want you to eat? It wants you to eat salty foods and sugary foods, right? You just have this kind of almost a an uncontrollable desire to eat all the things that you don't want, especially in the evening after dinner, you know, whatever your brain starts playing tricks on you and it starts wanting you to eat these things that we know that we shouldn't, if we want to reach our weight loss goals. Part of that I think is driven by the fact that a lot of people are either intentionally or unintentionally trying to eat less food during less. the day, during, during the morning and day. And then, then a little carb monster comes alive about seven 30 to nine 30 at night. Totally. They're trying to be good. They're trying to restrict. They're trying to watch their dietary choices. And then the body can only do that for so long. And then the willpower kind of caves. And then you're kind of at the mercy of whatever's in the fridge or the cupboard. And that cycle perpetuates and then it just creates more of the same dysfunction over and over and over. And I don't know how how many times you and I both talk to women on a regular basis, but one pattern that I've seen in these situations more often than not is women are chronically under eating. Their caloric intake is somewhere anywhere between three to 700 to almost a thousand calories less on a daily basis than where it's supposed to be. Now, 
If you're not sleeping well, plus you have lots of stress going on out there and you're under eating, that is the straw that breaks the camel's back, is the chronic low consumption of calories on a day in and day out basis. The body is way too sensitive for a drop in calories than it is for an excess of calories. So what we're trying to accomplish is getting our belly fat to go away and being able to lose some weight, but by restricting, which we've been kind of conditioned to believe that, it ends up creating more of the same problem. And women can't understand, men can't understand why they can eat a 1200 calories a day and keep gaining weight over time. Or their weight on the scale doesn't budge and they're only eating 1200 calories a day. It's not this calories in, calories out, eat 1200, you should be able to lose one to two pounds a week. It doesn't work like that. It's all about hormones and enzymes. And if you're doing that on a consistent basis, it's going to be telling your body to do something the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, we deal a lot with hormones. That's kind of part of our practice is actually, you know, when we're young, we have lots of hormones. And as we get older, we have less hormones. And of course, as we get older, we get more stress and more responsibilities and more things and, you know, just more stuff. So we do do a lot with trying to replace some of the adrenal hormones. So that might be something for some of you to consider. A lot of times, of course, we test it. We don't just say, hey, take this or take that as you test some of those adrenal hormones for females. We test some of those female, actual female hormones like the progesterone, because we were talking about earlier about what Rob had referred to as the pregnenolone steel, which I want you to explain that to people. Yeah, so <laughs> you kind of mentioned it in general, but as the stress goes up, your cortisol goes up, your requirement for cortisol stays, you know, heightened. The brain responds to that and will pregnenolone will be shunted. Pregnenolone is kind of like the mother hormone, right? Every All your female hormones, sex hormones in general, for men as well, are made from cholesterol. That's what makes them steroids because they're cholesterol-based. That branches to pregnenolone and then to DHEA and then DHEA splits off. On one side, you have estrogen and testosterone. Those are very similar hormones. And then on the other side, you have progesterone and cortisol. Those are also very similar hormones. You can live fine without progesterone, right? Your body can survive for the rest of your life without progesterone, but it cannot survive without cortisol. So what your body does is it basically shunts from pregnenolone right to cortisol to maintain the heightened requirement of cortisol because of the busy, stressful life that you have. And then as you said earlier, then that's what makes your progesterone go down. There's not enough energy to do both. There's not enough hormone substrate to be able to make both of them adequately. So what on the surface sometimes looks like female hormone issues is really more of an adrenal stress issue more than anything else. Yeah, I, I think the pregnenolone or pregnenolone, everybody calls it different potato, potato. But the pregnenolone, I think, is kind of like an unsung hero because it's, you know, we test it all the time in the blood work, but very rarely does a doctor test your own, your pregnenolone. Cortisol blood testing isn't really a great way to really find out where your cortisol level is. A saliva test is probably the best, but I think testing people's pregnenolone and their DHEA, that way, you know, those are two main hormones that come from the adrenals because people tell me, I want to test my adrenals. I want to test my adrenals. DHEA and testing that kind of, you know, that the way those hormones kind of trickle down and turn into each other, testing those is probably, one, I think, one of the best ways to test for your adrenal glands, the pregnenolone, the DHEA, you know, testing the female hormones, the estrogen, progesterone, testing the testosterone. Like I said, the cortisol blood, I don't usually test because it's not very accurate, but you can throw it in there sometime just to kind of get a little bit of a, you know, an idea of where things are at. And, you know, honestly, when it comes to adrenal issues, you can pretty much ask some questions and they give you a history of what their symptoms symptoms are, how they're sleeping, have they gained weight in the last six months, some of those things, you can kind of guess 
educated guess, an experienced guess of where those adrenal hormones or where their adrenal status is in general anyways. Because their story tells you exactly where things are at. You don't really need a four-point cortisol test to tell you that, right? You yeah. know, their, their situation pretty much tells you everything you need to know. So like you said, as you're doing the blood work anyways, because we're looking at some other things, throwing on a pregnenolone and a DHEA mm-hmm. sulfate, it kind of affirms what you already suspected based on their intake or on their picture. And you know, honestly, almost every single scenario that we deal with men or women, it all comes down to the stress. Mm -hmm. The stress is at the core of almost all of it for everyone. I mean, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say, you know, take home message. I know we're giving you a lot of information here. I mean, I could go on forever on, you know, different patients we've had, their stories, what we've done, what their blood work looked like, their treatment plan, their history. I mean, we could do that forever, but really I, I would say you listeners at home, you know, listening to us, probably, like I said, the biggest thing is trying to get that sleep. Don't do the intense cardiovascular exercise, especially don't do it in the evening time. If you are going to exercise, I think walking is a great thing for the adrenals. Walking is good exercise. It works all the muscles, but it doesn't necessarily make your cortisol go up. So if you are going to exercise and you have a lot of stress and you're working on this, just downregulate to a little walking. I promise you will not gain weight doing that, cutting down your cardio and just doing walking. That would probably be a, a big thing. Like I said, the sleep is a huge thing. And then the food. Yeah, so we're going to dive into almost all of those things kind of individually. We're just kind of giving an overview now because there's a lot more to say about that. We're going to actually give some specifics so you can kind of walk away with some things you can actually do at home because we know that it's frustrating when you are not feeling very well, you're not feeling like yourself, you're not feeling like the way you did maybe even a few years ago, that you go to your doctor trying to find answers and all they want to do is give you prescriptions that don't really work that well. So we're going to kind of help fill in some of those gaps and, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be helpful so you can accomplish the things you want to accomplish on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis and whatever that might be. The next one I think we're going to do, we're going to focus a little bit more on the sleep. We're going to focus on not being able to fall asleep, not being able to stay asleep. Those are going to be the next two episodes. And then uh, we'll have some more kind of what we at least alluded to in this one in the episodes after that. So for another uh, wrapping up another episode of the Progression Health Podcast, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Take care. for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.